0: Good morning. Good morning, how are you, Church? Good to see you today. You know I was talking with some uh, folks already this or the, earlier this morning in the um, look at that. My wife has already added to the family calendar the women 's Christmas brunch that was just announced two minutes ago, and so uh, there it is, reminding me. Uh, and so may all of you women be just as enthusiastic about attending that event on the 15th the um but i was talking with some folks downstairs uh, about the angel tree and just so excited to see how excited you were in your gifts that you've pr- that you that you've purchased to give i just i just loved seeing and hearing your enthusiasm in giving uh through this project, through the Angel Tree, and so, uh, yeah. Again, just another reminder that that all of those gifts are due by next Sunday. Uh, if you'll take your Bible, please, and and uh, turn to Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter nine. Last week we began our ad- annual Advent series. Uh, A five-week series, although, admittedly, uh, today is technically the first Sunday of Advent. But this year, we wanted to bring five messages from five biblical passages that center around the theme of light and tell the story of the birth of Christ. Uh, We began in Genesis 1 last week as Andre took us to the first recorded words attributed to God in all of Scripture. The earth was formless and void and darkness hung over the face of the deep uh, when God said, let there be light. That That was the beginning of the creation account as God made inhabitable that which had been uninhabitable. Everything was veiled in thick darkness until God spoke light into the world. These uh, were words of hope, and as Andre reminded us last week, there is no hope until God intervenes. Sadly, however, although God made everything good, you know the account, Although God made everything good, by Genesis 3, the human race chose its own path, and the consequences of the fall have ravaged the world ever since. But Advent beckons us to hope again. So as we turn to Isaiah 9 this morning, to this... What is probably a very familiar passage to you This prophetical passage that speaks about the hopeful arrival of Christ into the world. I want us to consider God's promise and provision as personified in Jesus, God's promise and provision as personified in Jesus, God's solution to the dark dread of sin is a is a savior who is light from above. Let's read this. I'll read it from uh, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read through verse 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the rod of his, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Amen. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning again for, for really the privilege of being here and for being here together this morning. We thank you that we are yet again able to come together before your word, your holy word. And we pray that, that in the midst of our everyday, what can be a very routine Um, even uh, 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 at times just a um, a, a, a very simple, mundane life from one day to the next, we pray that today, this morning, in these moments, you would remind us of the holiness of this moment, the uniqueness of this moment, the special quality of this moment, and that you would help us to receive all that you have for us. We thank you for your help that even on this day, even at, during this time when we gather to worship your name, when we gather to sing and declare your praise, still you come to serve us through your word and minister to us in this way. And so would you please help us now in every way imaginable, giving us uh, the ability to hear your voice. Would you stir our thoughts And enliven our affections for Jesus, even as we see him here in Isaiah chapter 9. And it's through his name we pray, amen. Isaiah 9 is written in uh, a context of distress and despair. The people were in crisis, namely the southern kingdom of Judah and its king, King Ahaz, Ahaz. The Assyrian Empire was growing and advancing. The northern kingdom of Israel had allied with Syria, and to bolster their alliance against the Assyrian onslaught, they turned to Judah with an ultimatum, either join us or be attacked by us. So Judah was threatened on multiple fronts, and King Ahaz was afraid, so afraid uh, that in chapter 7, Isaiah describes the king's heart as shaking in the wind. Knowing this, God sent Isaiah to Ahaz to promise, to promise him that God himself would defend Judah. All Ahaz needed to do was trust in the Lord. But Ahaz inexplicably refused God's promise and he turned from God to the king of Assyria instead. He gave silver and gold to the Assyrian king in exchange for protection, and he even called Judah the servant of Assyria. And from that point on, Judah was a puppet nation under Assyrian control, eventually conquered by Babylon, then sent into Babylonian exile. Ahaz had a choice to make either to trust God or to lean upon His own understanding. And I just want us to see that this is essentially the same choice we are faced with all the time still today. And many of us, uh, whether we care to admit it or acknowledge it or not, many of us respond just as Ahaz did. Even though the circumstances may be obviously different. Since the fall of humanity... When faced with this choice, people often choose their own way apart from God and essentially refuse the Lord and His good purposes for them. I want you to think about this with me. When facing circumstances that threaten you, do you trust God? Or do you lean upon some earthly means of rescue? Will we grab on to God when He moves to help us, or will we refuse His help and love? Because Ahaz took his own path, he experienced the consequences of his sin, and brought contempt upon his kingdom. Now, set against this backdrop, Isaiah 9 deals with trust and obedience, and with the consequences of disobedience. It, it deals with God's discipline, even of those He loves, but above all church, it deals with the faithfulness of God who brings hope to the hopeless. God's promise to Ahaz and the people of Judah, though they did experience the effects of sin, God's promise to them nonetheless resulted in His faithful provision in Christ. God is faithful. He's faithful to His promises and He's faithful to His people. And because He is the God of hope... Isaiah was enabled to look down the corridors of time some 700 years in the future to see the time of Christ. Carried along in those moments by the Spirit of God, Isaiah saw the coming of the Messiah in whom the hope of humanity resides. And this hope is described for us in verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom, it says, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt into the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone no more gloom no more anguish no more contempt Though the people were in darkness and the land was in darkness, this is a picture of how our fallenness affects everything, how sin's effects are seen everywhere. A new day was dawning. Those walking in darkness suddenly found themselves blinking under a new light from heaven, this radiant beam that is Jesus the Christ. Jesus is light from God, the light of life, the light of the world. And though we, like Ahaz, turn away from God in fear and in self-reliance, still God shines the light of hope upon our lives. So, So let us rejoice with joy like that of the farmer at the harvest or the victor when dividing the spoil, as Isaiah describes in verse 3. He says, you, O God, you've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when dividing the spoil. Now, many of you know that I'm a fan of Little House on the Prairie. And in that show, if you know that show, in that show, whenever harvest arrived and the crop came in as expected, and especially when it exceeded expectations, the people partied. They played music. They ate. They danced. They laughed together. Similarly, when a hard-fought battle is finally won, there is a time of celebration, isn't there? There is jumping and shouting and hugging and fist-pumping and high-fiving. That's what Isaiah is seeing here. Joy like this is never manufactured It's never manufactured. It's always overflowing with exuberance and a deep, deep sense of gratitude. And yet, it's far more than any earthly joy because the triumph of God's grace is incomparable. It's light that pierces deepest darkness. It's life, not death. It's hope when all appears hopeless. And so hope was described for us in verses 1 and 3 1 through 3 and then explained for us in verses 4 through 7 as Isaiah gives three reasons to hope in God. I want you to see these three reasons in verses 4, 5, and 6. Each beginning with the word for we have hope because God defeats our enemies verse 4 and secures our victory verse 5 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You see, Isaiah pictures a day when the child of God is completely free from the oppression of his enemy. Completely free. He mentions the day of Midian. Referring to Gideon and, and Gideon's surprising victory over the Midianites as recorded in Judges chapter 7. You may remember the story. Gideon, uh, I'm sorry, God pared down Gideon's army from 32,000 men To 300. And these 300 trumpet blowing, jar smashing, torch carrying men resoundingly defeated the entire Midianite army. Isaiah wants the people to remember that just as God brought victory then when circumstances suggested otherwise, so does he bring victory now through one who is far greater than Gideon. More than that, Isaiah pictures a day when all battles will cease. Can you imagine a day like that? A day when every warrior's boot and every blood-stained garment will be thrown into the fire. a, A bonfire of sorts that celebrates the full victory of Christ. And so we have reason to hope because God defeats our enemies and secures our victory specifically because He has given us a Son to be our Savior. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Church, God's answer to human hopelessness and to the devastating effects of sin in our world is in the birth of a child. Isaiah trumpets that this person, this child we celebrate each Christmas is the one in whom all our hopes ultimately lie. He is hope personified. And we have these four names Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is Wonderful Counselor. Literally, a wonder of a counselor. This ruler who will defeat all enemies and secure complete victory who brings joy and light from above, in whom all our hopes rest, and who Himself is hope, He is a wonder of a counselor. He is incomprehensible, indescribable, surpassing all human thought. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts far beyond ours. As we consider the divine nature of Christ, His eternality, His preeminence, His infinitude, His divine and incommunicable attributes, His oneness with God, we are amazed. When we think about the humanity of Christ, His humility, His selflessness, His kindness and care, His Sinlessness, his willingness, his saving work in our lives and in the lives of people from every age, every nation, in every time and place, we are astonished. We are in awe of him who is a wonder of a counselor. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that in the Lord Jesus are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, earthly counselors need counsel themselves. Even the best of them. They must learn how to counsel and when to counsel and what counsel is appropriate for the situation, but not Jesus. For to whom does the Lord go for counsel? To whom does does he seek for help? Who has been his advisor? He knows what is right always. He knows what is true always. He knows what is best in every given situation. I just want to stand before you this morning and urge you to put your hope in him, to listen to him, to learn from him, to live in him. His well is deep. His will is infallible. His ways are inscrutable. He has the mind of God and He knows the human heart. Whatever storm you're in, He's above it. Whatever fears you're facing, He is faithful. Whatever tempts you to take matters into your own hands, I want you to know that He is mighty. He is... Mighty God, Isaiah says. He is both mighty and God. He is the radiance, the author of Hebrews tells us, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and they were created for Him. John tells us, No one has ever seen God. But this Jesus, this child, this one we celebrate each Christmas, He is the only God. He is at the Father's side. And He is the one who makes God known. Jesus is not merely God-like. He is God. He is God in the flesh. And therefore, He possesses divine might. When He lived among us, such might was on full display, wasn't it? He displayed power over even common things, the simplest things, for instance, like food and drink. One time, He turned water into wine. And on another occasion, He miraculously fed thousands, literally, with just a few loaves and fishes. He has power over creation. One night in a boat with friends a storm came upon the sea, and so great was this storm that the other men in the boat now now these were experienced seamen who knew the back of, of that sea, they, who knew that sea like the back of their hands, they they were certain that death was imminent. But Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and to their collective surprise, all was calm again. He has power to heal. He made the blind to see, and the lame to walk, and the diseased were healed of their many afflictions. He displayed His power even over death, bringing Lazarus back from the dead, and raising Jairus' daughter also. But it is through His own death and resurrection... Isn't it? In which his divine might is seen most clearly. It's at the cross and in the empty tomb where we discover that he is not only mighty in power, but he is also mighty in love. He is rich in grace and mercy, and he is able to forgive sin because he paid for it on the cross. And he can give new life because he defeated death in his resurrection. Are you with me, church? As mighty God, He is mighty to save. And He is everlasting Father, we're told. Meaning that Jesus cares for His people like a loving Father cares for His children. And He does so throughout all eternity. Just as a quick aside here, I know there may be some confusion in that we think of the Father being Father and Jesus being the Son, and that is true. And when we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity and their relation to each other, it's just that. We're talking about those three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and their relation to each other, and Jesus is is the Son in that relationship. So Isaiah here is not referring to how the Trinity relates to Each other, he's referring to how Jesus relates with us. And he relates with us like a father. He cares for us like a father. And he does so forever. This promised child, who was born unto us, in fact, existed long before his birth. The Apostle John famously wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Speaking of Christ. Jesus is eternal and He eternally fathers all who are His. Loved ones, this means that you can trust him. His eternal nature assures us that he is reliable and unchanging, and his fatherly care promises that he loves you with an everlasting love. If you are his today, he is never against you, but always for you, always in your corner always on your side, always advocating for you, always there for you, always present to provide the very best care in any given circumstance. It means also that you can enjoy Him, not only trust Him, but you can enjoy Him. You know, I love coming home from work and walking into the house to hear my kids cry out, Daddy's home. From wherever they are in the house, at least the younger ones, they come, they drop everything and they come running to me. And they hug me and kiss me and greet me. Now I know, I know, I know, I know that some of you have had difficult fathers. Men, you may not have enjoyed. And I just want to assure you that though your example of fatherhood has not been a good one, Jesus loves you with a love from heaven, and he loves you perfectly. And so I just want you to picture Him walking through the front door of your heart, as it were, into the circumstances of your life, coming home to meet you right where you are today. And wherever you are today, I I just would encourage you to drop whatever you're doing and run to Him. Enjoy Him who loves you with an everlasting love. That He is everlasting Father means that you can return to Him. Jesus once told a parable of a son who rebelled against his father and went his own way in pursuit of the empty, fast-fleeting pleasures of this world until that which promised pleasure Only left him in deep despair. And then in a moment of clarity, he remembered home and how good his father was and how good it was to be with his father. And he returned home to find that the father had been waiting and watching in love all along. And and the father received his son wholeheartedly. The father had compassion for his son and the son confessed his sin to the father and the relationship was made whole again like this church like this Jesus has compassion for you and when his compassion meets your confession there is peace again as the relationship between you is wonderfully restored because he is the prince of peace in and through and from Jesus, you can enjoy peace with God and even peace on earth. The word here is shalom. A Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament. Shalom is more than the absence of conflict. It includes the presence of health and and wholeness. This sense of total well-being. Well, apart from Jesus, our relation to God is one of brokenness and not peace. In our fallen state, we are separated from God and at at odds with God. Because our transgressions defeat us time and time again, we need someone, don't we, to fight for us. Someone who not only overcomes our sin, but also brings us into this state of wholeness with God. We need someone to bridge the gap caused by sin. And Isaiah is saying is that someone is Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace has come to us to do for us what we cannot do ourselves by bearing our sins and suffering sin's consequence. In our place shalom you see implies a return to the way things are supposed to be both vertically with God and horizontally on earth to the shepherds in the field on the night of Christ's birth the angels uh, announced peace on earth We look around, don't we? We look around our world and into our own hearts even. And instinctively, we know that this isn't total well-being. It's hard to imagine this kind of peace, isn't it? Given the state of things today. Ours is a world of hatred and hostility. Abuse and corruption at every level, in every way imaginable, in places all over the earth. And yet, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, assures us that this child, this Prince of Peace, will bring peace on earth. It says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It will just increase and increase and increase forever. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So how do we reconcile this announcement of total peace with the reality of our sin ravaged world? Have you ever wondered that? How is it that the scripture can declare peace on earth when our earth is so obviously not at peace? And the answer is in Christ's second advent. Verse 6 speaks of Christ's first advent his birth while well, verse 7 looks even further into the future to his second coming christ was born he lived died resurrected from the dead and then he returned to heaven having accomplished all that, that he purposed during his earthly ministry he reigns from heaven today The Scripture says He's being patient with us. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to saving faith. It's divine forbearance so that we will repent and return to Him as Savior and Sovereign. And one day, He will return from heaven to earth. This is His second advent. And when He does, His rule of peace marked with justice and and righteousness will increase. Forevermore, just as Isaiah foretells here and as we will consider even later in this Advent series. So apart from, Pete, uh, uh, apart from Jesus, there is no shalom. No shalom with God. No shalom on earth. No shalom in your own heart. But those who know Jesus can experience divine peace even today, even in our fallen world, and walk daily with the God of peace. And this brings us to the very heart of Christmas, doesn't it? This sense of God with us. Behold, the angel said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Rather than destroying this sinful world, and wiping us from the face of the earth rather than distancing himself from us forever. The Prince of Peace set aside his royal robe and chose to enter our human struggle. He came to us to be with us and to bring us peace and he will come again to bring peace on earth. So, church, look to him, Jesus, the Christ. As wonderful counselor, he knows what is best. As mighty God, he is always able. As everlasting Father, he will love you forever. And as Prince of Peace, He makes you whole again. And then just one final thought. Notice it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, true hope, true hope, true hope is not of human origin. It is of God. God's answer to all our fears and failures is a child who rules with justice and righteousness and peace, whose rule will increase forever. A child who came to us from God and as God, a child given as a gift who was born unto us. Born not only to Mary and Joseph. Born not only to Judah or Israel. Born not to a select few. But born to us. To us. To all of us who hope in Him. And so will you hope in him this morning? More on this next week. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you give us the grace now, even in these quiet moments, to turn from whatever it is That we're clinging to with, with hope. Whatever it is in the earthly realm, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a thing, maybe it's the prospect of a different circumstance, whatever it is that we're just clinging to with all our hopes, it's ultimately it cannot meet our expectations. So give us the grace this morning to turn to you and to hear from you your words of hope and your promise your provision for us and to see ultimately, to see hope personified, to open our eyes again and see Jesus. Would you open the eyes of our hearts even and enable us to wrap our arms around him by faith and to cling to him who is wonderful counselor, to trust in him who is mighty God, to enjoy him who is everlasting father, And to be at peace with him who is the Prince of Peace. Do this we pray even now. Through his name. Amen.